0: Hi, and welcome to Make It Make Sense with Sreka Thanendra Dharaman, a podcast that aims to demystify the less-than-transparent publishing industry by talking to authors from historically underrepresented backgrounds. I believe that the more we make sense of how things work on the inside, the less we feel as though we're on the outside because learning from other authors, editors and agents that have made sense of their journeys should hopefully inspire many more to embark on their very own. Each week, I'll be asking a new interviewee the things they've made sense of in their careers, as well as anything they'd like to make sense of for fellow writers. Today's episode features Amy Baxter, editor-in-chief and owner of Bad Form Review and assistant editor at Dialogue Books and a few other Hashtag imprints. Bad Form Review is a literary review magazine that is by and about black, Asian and racialized community writers that Amy started using £300 of her own money. We speak frankly about the abhorrent statistic she came across from a 2016 bookseller article that was the impetus for Bad Form Review, as well as the bittersweet nature behind the monumental growth of the magazine, something that she says helps her keep striving for better amy is candid about her role as assistant editor and offers great advice for those wanting to enter the industry she speaks about the realities of her role and how she recently came to acquire her first novel the dating plan by sarah desai for dialogue books amy is as wise as someone who has had to fail and deal with rejection countless times She left me with a clearer understanding of what it takes to enact change in this industry and to truly make an impact like she has, and will undoubtedly continue to do through bad form review, and whatever position she'll hold in this industry. Amy's one of those people you know has great things coming for her. I'm grateful for her sincerity as well as teaching me the importance of consistency in this game. I hope you take away as much as I did from this episode. Hi Amy and welcome to Make It Make Sense. Hello, thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be speaking with you today about your role as founder and editor-in-chief of Bad Form Review, but um, I'm also happy to speak to you about your role as assistant editor at Dialogue Books. Mm -hmm. Um, First, I wanted to start with a question I ask all our guests, which is what did you want to be when you were younger?
1: Uh, firstly well thank you so much for having me and I apologize this is not the most exciting of of answers but I wanted to be a writer Um, unfortunately I learned at quite a young age that I'm not very good at writing (laughs) Um, so I've ended up in the alternative which is editor
0: in various forms (laughs) but that's interesting because I always I think I'm all I could always come across people that say you know to be a writer they always feel like they should have wanted to have that drive right from the start. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's not always the way that it is. And it's also interesting that you wanted to be a writer, but you kind of pivoted to be more within the industry. Is that something that now that you've been in the industry that's changed? Because I'm guessing you're reading a lot more books and right in the thick of it.
1: Is it something that you feel you could dip back into? I think absolutely not I think I'm just too insecure <laughs> to be a writer to be honest um you know sometimes I was I was actually thinking about this um I think about coming to this and you know um when we send edits back to a to a writer, sometimes we can say, "I want you to completely change the plot," or "I don't like this character. I don't enjoy them. I don't enjoy working with them." And writing is just so personal. I think for a lot of people, it's really a creative outlet. So then to have some editor walking up to you and be like, <laughs> "You need to change all of this. I think it's rubbish." It not I would never edit like that. Just so <laughs> just for reference, but um, but essentially to to make you change things, I just don't think I could deal with it. I think I'd be mm. really personally upset quite often. Um, so I really. I do respect writers for being able to do that and take it on the chin and and really often enjoy the process of, of being edited
0: yeah i think it, on the flip side when you are edited i think there is such a uh joy in someone else seeing things that you don't see as well mm. of course you read all these edits and think oh my god i can't write but actually it's just people have come in and pulled out things that you haven't seen or or want to dive deeper into something that you've written but haven't gone deep enough into so um, it works in both ways and of course you need to have a thick skin to take in all those comments um, but going back to the the two roles that essentially I guess cover your day I don't know what percentage of your day um, and your workload is as an assistant editor and what percentage is in running bad form review um, can you tell us a little bit about what your a typical I don't know if you have a typical day
1: but a typical day or week looks like for you Yeah, absolutely. So I should just say that technically being assistant editor of Dialogue and various other imprints I actually work for is my full time job. Mm -hmm. Um, And Bad Form is sort of a side part role, um, which is one of those which can sort of expand to fill the time that I have. Um, But mostly with a regular day, I'll sort of get up as most people do in the morning, get ready for work. About seven for me. I, I don't like getting up early. Um, normally I get up, get ready. I do half an hour of bad forms. So often that's posting on our website, tweeting. But we have just had a lovely new social media assistant, Zaina, mm-hmm. join us. So that won't be me anymore. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's a bad job, but I just don't enjoy it particularly. And I'll do that for half an hour before I go to the office. Um, And I know everyone says this, there's no, you know, every day is different in publishing. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a variety of jobs you do as an assistant editor. Basically, your job is to get a book after it's been purchased by an editor from A to Z. So that's managing every area of the process to making sure the structural edits are done on time, line edits, author care, making sure the author photo is ready for the cover, um, making sure the cover's there on time, cover copy, liaising with production and sales and the rights teams, just to make sure that book is kept on track all the way through. And that can be quite a long process, up to two years sometimes Mm -hmm. for fiction. So it's really a lot about project management. Um, And as such, loads of weird little jobs pop up as Mm -hmm. part of that. You know, I could be you know, in a recording studio because the author would like you there when they're recording their audio book, or I could be printing proofs, or I could be running up and down trying to get an author gift somewhere, or I could just be reading some submissions, uh, which I do quite a lot these days. Um, So it's really, really a lovely, varied job, though all of it ultimately comes down to project management. Yeah. Mm. Whereas bad form because we are volunteer run and we do sort of everything ourselves, it can be almost anything, but a lot of it is admin. Ultimately in both jobs, a lot of what I do is admin. I've tried to make it sound more exciting than that, but there's <laughs> just a lot of admin that needs to be done with books and magazines and words.
0: Yeah. Okay. And um, in, in, you said that you work as an assistant editor at Dialogue and a couple of other imprints. Mm. How, how does your role stretch out over multiple imprints?
1: So, Little Brown, where I work, is a division of Hachette. So it's sort of a smaller company within Hachette, and then an imprint is again an even smaller company within the division. We all work together, but different um, publishers and editors will work for different imprints. Um, so I work across literary imprints. Uh, so those who are publishing literary literature, which is sort of an odd term to me, but there's it, generally literature is divided into literary and commercial, and I mm. work on literary. Uh, so I support Charmaine Lovegrove, who's currently on her parental leave, so I, I currently support her parental leave cover, Maisie, and I support Virago, which is the feminist imprint at Little Brown, and I support uh, Richard, who works across Little Brown and Abacus, which is the hardback paperback imprint in literary at Little Brown. So I actually work for four people. Um, it's just that the most of my work ends up being dialogue, and because of the alignment between dialogue and bad form, I end up Mm -hmm. talking about it a bit more. (laughs) Yeah, that makes (laughs) sense. Yeah, but only about 50% of my work is actually for dialogue. I do work across quite a few other books as well
0: okay so that's interesting and and is that normal that you'd work as an editor assistant editor over multiple imprints or is this a special case
1: maybe not as many imprints as I work on um, <laughs> people are often quite surprised when I tell them <laughs> how, how many imprints I work for yeah. and how many people but yeah it's pretty common for people especially at my level assistant editor level or editorial assistant to work across fiction non-fiction or mm-hmm. multiple editors or multiple imprints so I say having four editors to work for is probably quite a lot normally you'd be looking at two to three I'd say Mm -hmm.
0: okay and just for because I hope that this podcast is also listened to by writers of course but also Mm -hmm. by people that are hoping to get into the industry can you kind of give us a uh, just a general timeline of how you kind of what it looked like when you started what the space of time is because I, I know that You've recently acquired your first novel for
1: dialogue, is that right? I have, Yay. yes. Which is thank you. It's super <laughs> exciting. I'm super excited. It's great.
0: Yeah. It thank must you. be such a nice milestone and also just a nice thing to start on. What was the, you know, um, what was the the time from when you started in your role to where you are now?
1: Absolutely. So I actually started as a trainee on the Penguin Random House editorial traineeship for low socioeconomic and or racial mixed racialized background people so I'm not quite sure what they're calling it at the moment but that's what <laughs> okay. it was called when I was there okay. um, and I joined that straight out of university I was 22 um, so I just take it a like gap year and that was in September 2019 so that was a six-month course when I was on it I would highly recommend it for anyone mm. who is not traditionally from a publishing background or doesn't really know how to get into it and is considering mm. you know what should I do next it's only six months of your life and mm. I loved it and ended up staying So I did that for six months. It's essentially like an internship, I guess, Um, a traineeship is what they called it. Mm -hmm. So I did that for six months until March 2020. And then I spent almost a year and a half as an editorial assistant. Normally people stay as editorial assistants from around one to two years, but I've seen editorial assistants stay for much longer Mm -hmm. and then progress to assistant editor. Again, the usual time people stay in the assistant editor role, I'd say, is about two years. And then you become an editor or a commissioning editor. And then between companies, it sort of is a mixed bag, the different mm-hmm. names of roles and things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, when you first acquire is actually quite different from place to place. I think it's pretty common to be in my position and not to have acquired until sort of So this is my two and a half years into publishing now. So that's pretty normal, I'd say. But some people I know were acquiring as editorial assistants sort of within Mm. six months of starting. Um, I've always tended to work in places which are very... sort of you earn your way up and then you earn more responsibility Mm -hmm. which I totally get and understand I don't think I was ready to to (laughs) buy my own book a couple of years ago though I definitely thought I was um so it's taken me about two and a bit years um but it's definitely been even now being supported by wonderful editors and publishers because there's you know there's always more to learn Mm. so I'd say yeah two to three years to buy your first book I'd say is pretty normal okay and
0: how did you know you were ready to acquire your first book or is it something that you're kind of being led into gradually?
1: It's interesting because um with dialogue specifically, Charmaine was the only acquirer. So she was the only person mm-hmm. buying books forever since it was set up. It's five years old. She was in charge. She was the only publisher. So when she went on parental leave, it sort of presented quite a different outlook Mm. on what dialogue looks like and she has been incredibly supportive and a mentor to me even whilst on her parental leave and for me I sort of knew it was the time because I was just itching to get into something more than a second edit which is what Mm -hmm. I've really been doing at the moment I really wanted to edit my own book Mm. and I came across this this book on on TikTok uh, which (laughs) is called The Dating Plan by Sarah's SI and I just loved it and I went onto the Amazon page and I was shocked that no one was publishing it in the UK I was like this book has been out for a year like why is and it's huge on TikTok. Why mm-hmm. has no one picked it up? Um, so I actually was speaking to Charmaine on the phone and I said, look, there's this book. I love it. Please, 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 can we buy it? Um, and she said, yeah, yeah, sure. Take it to acquisitions. And I and then I asked. So I was like, can I take this as my own project? And she said, yes. Uh, so it wasn't that someone told me one day, oh, you're right. ready to acquire. It was more yeah. be just sort of being quite opportunistic
0: <laughs> in I mean, that's, of ways. That's great. Yeah, it's interesting how you came across the book as well. Um, and how that uh, conversation occurred, because that's another thing that I don't think we all have a lot of transparency about is how books come to be bought and considered.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I was really shocked when I first joined the industry how important agents were. I Mm. didn't quite understand that, you know, that every, every book pretty much that's bought is either an IP project where the editor goes out and approaches someone to write a book or an agent comes with... Mm-hmm. a book idea or an editor spotted something that's being sold in another country and said, right, I'd like to do that myself. Um, so really for most of the time it's an agent who's involved in, in shopping those books around. And for writers, agents are really invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, just because just because it's someone there who's guiding you through the process and also as an editor, you you know, which agents tastes mimic your own. So if mm-hmm. that agent emails you and it's like, I've got this book, you're going to pay attention because you like to mm-hmm. read the same things and you're likely to work on projects together. So, yeah, it is, It is. Uh, I guess, more structured than I thought it was coming into yeah. the industry, but I think it's not without reason in a lot of ways. Mm.
0: And it is also interesting that even with that structure, there's still things that are able to kind of... Um, poke through sounds wrong but like yeah. TikTok is now becoming such a platform for books to suddenly do well as well or, or to find a new audience that even through those structures that are very much in place that there are other ways that people are coming to these books.
1: Absolutely it's amazing what this can do for books that have been published 10-20 years ago and it's mm. really organic you can't make a book work on TikTok through advertising is the best yeah, part of People yeah. on there really have to love it and want to recommend it to other people. And that's what's so beautiful about it. When you read a book that you've picked off TikTok, you know, it's because lots of people are passionate about it. And I think that's Mm. what's really, really exciting and lovely about it. I want to switch just quickly
0: to Bad Form Review. And I want to read how Bad Form Review describes itself on its website, which is Mm. Bad Form is a books magazine. That means we write a lot about books everything from book reviews to reading lists to opinion pieces about the publishing industry. The world of literary review is a pale and stale place, and we're here to fuck it up with a lot of color, which is awesome and amazing and great. And I think one of the best about us uh, little summaries that I've read. Um, Can you help us understand what the trigger or impetus was to start Bad Form Review and at what point in your publishing journey uh, was it while you were working that you wanted to start this off what brought you to Bad Form Review?
1: Absolutely so I was not actually going to go into publishing. I was going to be an accountant. I had a job lined up as an accountant for after university. And I was like, I would like to remain creative in some way, shape or form. And at the same time, I came across this really horrendous statistic from the bookseller, which said that out of a quarter of a million books published in 2016, less than a hundred were written by British BAME writers which is crazy yeah um so that's less sort of a day and a bit's worth of publishing that year was
0: Mm.
1: was from those right it's it was devastating to read that statistic and I'll be honest I was not really a literary review reader (laughs) I'd never bought a copy of Granter or the literary Mm -hmm. review or the TLS or anything it's not you know I I like books quite a lot I'd go to Waterstones quite a lot or Amazon when I you know couldn't afford it I was a student yeah um but it had never really hit home. And then I realised whenever I looked at book reviews at The Guardian or when I did read book reviews, they were always about white people and by mm. white people. And I thought, you know, if I really was looking for a book by a brown writer, where would I go to find one? And the answer was I, I didn't know. Mm. And this was in in 2019 when I came across the statistic. So, you know, I grabbed a few friends, um, I made the Instagram account and I posted saying, you know, we're looking for book reviews. Anyone want to make a magazine? Um, and some poor people on the internet took a chance on us and we made a, you know, a small magazine and it, you know, we had a little launch party and it was lovely. No one wanted to send us a review copy from a publishing Mm -hmm. house. No one wanted to take a chance on us. We were nothing. We had no followers. Mm -hmm. We were just, you know, we were just some kids messing around making a magazine. And then in spring of 2020, the Black Lives Matter movement happened. Um, obviously after George Floyd's horrendous murder Mm -hmm. and the publishing industry had this sort of real wake-up moment. We had a post go viral about some with some reading recommendations on anti-racism, which again is a conversation separate to be had on the validity mm. of those and whether actually they're worth doing mm. um at all. And suddenly everyone wanted to work with us. We were having, you know, review copies coming out of our ears and we've just sort of haven't stopped from then. So it's it's an interesting one with bad form because really we've grown on the back of pain trauma and racism Mm. so it's it's bittersweet to see how far we've come since it was just me and some friends in a (laughs) in east london Mm -hmm. trying to make a print issue Uh, but ultimately we're in a lot better position in the industry now i'd say than we were a few years ago but equally not much has changed it's been less than three years since i started bad form but it's a very different proposition now than it was Mm. back then
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think I had a conversation with Kasim Ali, Mm. who I think you're friends with. Yes. Yes. Um, And he had a kind of moment of imposter syndrome of, you know, the reason his book was bought, whether it was off the back of this movement that um, was triggered by uh, George Floyd and um, that tragic event. And it's true. I think a lot of things probably did change and uh, a lot of doors opened and a lot of, um i guess in our in our context books were bought and mm. stories and and bad form had a lot more of a bigger platform which how does that feel because i think that is such a conversation in terms of um it is at times it can feel to- like a sense of tokenism but also you want to ride that wave in that moment because it is important that people do have access and have mm. these platforms and have these books so so be it that it is from something, you know, an event that triggered worldwide outrage and interest. Um, But how does that feel for you? Is it, I guess bittersweet is a great way to describe it, but is it something that you just take on and, and keep on and and use what opportunities came from that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, within three weeks of that, post going viral i was able to organize a young writers award and get the winner Mm. uh, meeting with an agent an author and a publisher which three weeks earlier wouldn't have been possible because Mm. i just didn't have the contacts to do that so wherever possible we have tried to we as a team and now there's quite a few of us of, of lovely volunteer women who really work hard on this we we have tried to use the platform that we've been given and grown to help others and the fact that I think we're still here and still doing it and still pushing the same message I hope makes clear that it wasn't opportunistic or, mm-hmm. or trying to capitalise on, on something which is really horrendous and horrible and traumatic um but we're still here. We're still doing the work. The work still mm-hmm. needs to be done, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, as yeah. much as did change, as much <laughs> didn't. So it is bittersweet to remember how we were able to grow so quickly that year. But actually, most of our growth really came in the last year, mm-hmm. where we were sort of be able to push beyond the immediate circle of publishing and out to the wider public. Mm. So I think the way that we move past that being bittersweet is to keep on working and keep on striving for change and for better. And, yeah, keep on going.
0: Yeah, I mean, what you've done as well is, like you've said, widen your platform. And I think what you struggled with earlier is something I always struggled with in that I didn't always see um, books from writers of colour on book lists or Mm. award lists or short lists. And it definitely has changed. Not enough, but it has changed. But Bad Form Review often does put out... um, really good reading lists and reviews Mm -hmm. and that that I think does a lot even if it's just that you you have that as a post that you scroll by on Twitter or Instagram it does make a difference because it does make you feel that it isn't a hundred books in 2016 that statistic it makes you feel like there is change and if you're a writer it does make you feel like there's a purpose for you trying to sit down and write something that you feel is of worth because it it is being bought and it is being read um so I think it is really important what you're doing and you're right there's so much still more to do but it's great that bad form is doing so well and doing so much and getting voices out there for authors that sometimes aren't given the same I think I mean this is a very big assumption but same level of marketing same level of
1: um yeah yeah, thank, I mean, thank you. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad it does hopefully inspire writers that there are people out here who care, and will read and will listen. But yeah, totally. Authors of colour are not getting the same levels of marketing and publicity. You know, you can't use the same methods. You, you know, mm. publishers claiming to want to, you know, spread out into new communities and and publish for someone else, but they're not. They're still publishing writers of colour into the same market they always have and then are being shocked that, that the traditional... Book market isn't buying these books. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't keep doing the same thing and expecting different, better results. I'll be honest. What really scares me more than anything is that now we're reaching the end. By the end of this year, we'll have reached the end of sort of the first wave of book buys, especially by black authors in in 2020. Because the lifespan of the book is usually year year for nonfiction, two years for fiction. By the end of this year, most of the debuts will have come and gone. Mm I don't know about you, but I haven't seen many debut bestsellers this mm-hmm. year, last year, by authors of colour. There have been a few that mm. have broken through, which is amazing. Yeah. And I'm yeah. so happy for them. But so many of them have not. Mm-hmm. And they've got these massive advances attached to them, which is really good for them. They're happy for yeah. them. Yeah. But then how do you get your next book deal? Mm. Is, the, is their second book, if it was a two-book deal, is it going to be published with the same gusto if it didn't work the first time? Mm-hmm. I am worried about the authors that were bought, underpublished, and who are trying to get new book deals. That is who I am concerned about. Mm. Because I'll be honest, white authors are allowed to have a miss. They are allowed to have a mediocre book. Writers of colour you've not delivered? Well, too late. This is me obviously speculating from mm. a bad bad mm. format on. Re, you know, that's really my concern. It is not what I want in any way shape or form I want people to have long lengthy careers as writers mm-hmm. and yeah it's very normal across the board and for white authors as well to have a huge advance on their debut and then have it cut for the next book because mm-hmm. you know these things aren't sustainable you can't make back mm-hmm. six figures every time you publish a book but That is what I'm worried about is the longevity of this change and what this market's going to look like in 2024 and 2025. I'm Mm. hoping we see that sustained change, but I'm concerned we'll see so many names just come and go because the market is oversaturated and not directed properly.
0: I mean, it is a shame and I think it's also maybe to give context to people, uh, writers and um, other people trying to get into the industry Mm. because it's something that I didn't, quite understand at the start that if you are attached to a big advance your your book and your book sales are trying to essentially pay that off as royalties yeah. to to um uh to the advance and if that doesn't occur there's always a conversation of how successful then that book was yeah and that's what you're speaking about that authors of color if that um, the royalties and the sales of that book doesn't match up to the advance that whether their next book is published to the same or even bought at the mm, same bought, uh, yeah, yeah, level of enthusiasm that the debut was born. Is there? I mean, that sounds like something structural and um something divisive in that sense. Is there something that can be done to start to fix or to lessen the pressure, or it is just something structural
1: that. This is, is such a big question. I wish I had a proper answer for you. Yeah, that's you know, a big it, Yeah, not it is, You, it, you, you no, don't have
0: is, to answer that at all, actually. You can no, just I say, think, I
1: don't know. Hopefully, I mean, you'll see, I'm better at complaining about things than having answers for them at the moment. It's um fine. We want to hear the complaints too. <laughs> I think ultimately it is easier to break a debut than it is someone who's had two smaller books. And that's mm-hmm. not just a writer of colour specific thing. It's just mm-hmm. true in general. I mean, we look at Bernardina Avaristo and yes, it was her like white like yeah. book that won the booker. But it was eight books of incredible publisher by Hamish Hamilton. Like Simon Prosser is an incredible publisher. His list is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, it did take a while for her to get that book that won the Booker and won her all the recognition. But her publisher supported her through it and Mm -hmm. was able to say, we will keep you on. We will keep going with, yes, and Blonde Roots did quite well, but never really reached that bestseller success that she sees now and deserves now. So it is possible to keep, that going but mm. you know publishers are businesses yeah. if your PL with an author is consistently looking bad why would you keep them when there's mm-hmm. so many exciting young writers of color that you mm-hmm. could maybe help or not necessarily young but new new voices mm-hmm. is it right to deny them a chance because you mm-hmm. made an earlier commitment to another writer who hasn't turned out to sell well like i don't know what the right answer is here a publisher can only publish so many books well we mm-hmm. only have capacity to do that you know that as much as we all love books so much the book buying audience in this country is not massive like the Mm. average person buys one book a year so I don't know what the answer is Mm. I don't know how to make this better I don't know who's who we as publishers owe ourselves to more the people that we've already committed to or the voices who haven't had the opportunity to be Mm. heard yet I don't know what the correct answer is there
0: do you feel like Dialogue Books is uh, doing a little bit to shift that in terms of uh, the type of books that they're, because they're very intentional about the type of books that are being bought for that um, imprint?
1: Absolutely. Um, I was desperate to work for Charmaine. When mm-hmm. this job came up, I was like, oh, I need this job. This is where I'm meant to be. And everyone who, when I got this job was like, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, you're obsessed. Um <laughs> Dialogue, funnily enough, was one of the first publishers. Billy Seawood, who is the head of publicity here, um, was the first person to really take a chance on us from a major publisher as about bad form. So I've always had like a special bond mm. with them. But they are committed under Charmaine's direction to raising up marginalised voices. That's mm-hmm. what we do. We have always looked to support marginalised voices and the best of them. You know, we don't just give out book offers to people willy nilly. Mm-hmm. We support good writers and good yes. writing across the board, and that is ultimately all you could ever want to do in, in a publishing house to be I think in my personal opinion is to be mm-hmm. offering those opportunities where we can and it's wonderful because not everyone is 18 who we sign that dialogue you know not everyone is young new isn't necessarily young people could be much older and well into other careers and still have new voices and new things to say so that's what I love about dialogue and I think yes, we are redressing change in our own small way, but there are other imprints doing it too. You've got Merky mm. Books, mm. which does amazing work, amazing, amazing work. Um, and then we've got June Sarpong's new imprint. They're popping up all over the place. So I'm really hoping mm. that although we are separate separating ourselves in order to make that change happen, ultimately places like Dialogue and Merky. become redundant because everyone Mm. else is supporting marginalized authors so much that it doesn't make sense to have a separate place to have.
0: Yeah. Talking about numbers and the statistic that you gave us that you found in in 2019, but the statistic from 2016, I might be wrong on this, but I find it hard to find numbers and statistics Mm. yearly. Is is there a reason that that's not um, so accessible to us or is it? And I'm just not finding it.
1: No, it, it is a difficult one to find because race is a protected characteristic. So when this this research is done, it's dependent on publishers collecting all that information from mm. their authors and then getting clearance to share that information with whoever's collating the statistics and then them collating the statistics. Otherwise, it's just I actually don't know the methodology behind the original mm. statistics um, from the bookseller. I'm sure that it was all about board. But, you know, trying mm. to do it now in 2022, like, I don't even know where I begin to try and find that. Like, do you do it? Do you have Do you do it from names? Yes. So you know, it's really, and then yeah. to get nationality. So it's British versus American authors, like it's mm. versus all the other authors who buy in. I say American because that tends to be where the buy-ins are from in the English language. Um, so I think it's just a very difficult, lengthy process, which we should be doing and should be investing in. Yeah. Well, definitely as journalists, I'm speaking from a bad forms perspective. If we have the money, I would love to do another study into that because I think mm-hmm. it's so important. But yeah, even internally, I wouldn't be able to tell you what proportion of mm. authors of colour we have, just because I don't think we collect that data. And I think there is issues GDPR-wise in how we do that. Um, mm. So I think there would there is desire there, but a lack yeah. of funding and ability to do so.
0: I think, yeah, it, I mean, that makes sense, of course. But it's just interesting because uh, when you see the number and when you see it in print, then it just... I don't know if that, that would give even more impetus, but when you, when you kind of don't see any data about it, it's easier to mm. hide from it and to, you know, not, not make um, such change because of it. form Review started off as a part-time volunteer-led platform in 2019. Mm. What has changed since then? Is it still, it, it
1: sounds like it's majority volunteer-led still, Yes, absolutely. I mean, technically, we are a company, but we don't really make any money. There's no money in magazines. (laughs) Um, And now there are nine of us on the team, all volunteers. Um, For clarity, I do own the company, but I'm not making any money with it. So we have several members. So Emma... Sophie and Morgan, so those are the copy editor, features editor, and reviews editor, have mm-hmm. been with us since 2020, and then there's various other team members who have joined along the way, we're all volunteers, and the funny thing is, we all started this during the pandemic, where mm-hmm. funnily enough, we all had quite a lot more free time to yeah. work on things, because yeah, you're not commuting, yeah. and you're not really doing anything, so it's been a real transition, especially since really like December, November, mm-hmm. for us trying to figure out what our working patterns are like, how to fit you know, bad form around real life. So we're still adjusting to how it works. Excitingly, we are now able to pay a very small fee to everyone who writes for our website and our print mm. issues, which has been a real, a real milestone for us. We were not always in the best financial position we don't have any outside mm-hmm. grants or funding it was literally started by me because I was living at home I was able to put 300 pounds towards our first print run and we've been going I guess like the podcast as well like yourself on yeah. this it. like yeah. it's you know it's been it's been tough but mm. we've finally gotten to that point and that's definitely due to actually publishers advertising with us and things like that and people buying the print issue which has been amazing
0: mm.
1: sorry yes I have rambled on a bit but it has yeah. it has changed quite a lot in structure just how many people are writing for us as well a huge number hundreds have written for us now which is crazy. Mm. and you know some of our writers now have book deals which is absolutely I actually cried the other day I cried last night hearing about a book deal from one of my favorite authors Um, I don't think it's been announced yet but it was incredibly emotional to Mm. see these these people who came to us through the internet often and have been writing incredible pieces for free to now be receiving big cash money for their books you know we love to see it absolutely so exciting to know that bad form can and will work as a a funnel for creativity and talent and that other people are recognizing that yeah
0: and how important it is that you offer that platform because Mm -hmm. as you say it's self-funded and you threw in 300 pounds to start it off but yeah what uh, opportunity for a writer to be able to place their work. And that's the thing with writing. It's such an isolated task and sometimes you're writing and you don't know if anyone's ever going to see it and and to have a platform where it it sits safely. Like you can trust what you're writing is going to be read and reviewed well and, you know, accepted if it should be. Mm. And I think um, that's no small feat, especially in this industry that sometimes feels like, you don't deserve to belong or you don't, mm. you know, you can't step a foot into that. You have this uh, outlet for writers and that they're then making book deals from having their writing scene is amazing. I think, um, of course, you should have cried at that. That's awesome. Um, what in terms of the industry, what's mm. the difference that you've seen from when you first started, whether it's through your work um, as an assistant editor or with bad form review, what, changes have you seen either positive or negative
1: um I think I definitely see more faces of color around than when I started um when I first started really the only people of color I saw were also on the diversity traineeship with me um this is particularly funny because I am white passing so I don't really add much color to, <laughs> to an editorial room um <laughs> It was, but that that's why the Um So I definitely, you know, like the wonderful thing about coming into the little brown office is it's just like a mix of people. You do mm. see brown faces in there. Um, and I work for a black publisher. Admittedly, she is one of the only black publishers in the industry. And most people of color are in lower entry level or just after entry level roles, which is something mm. that needs to be addressed. Um, but that's been a really nice positive change. Uh, and one I think hopefully will continue to be addressed. I would love to see more people of colour in higher roles and mm. acquiring roles. That would be really exciting and who are able to transfer into that from other industries and move across. Publishing is always an odd one where people are very keen on earning your way up from assistant Mm. to publisher and it's Mm. it's, I think it's fairly rare or uncommon for people to transfer across industries and publishing but then how can you have people of colour in higher roles you have to wait what 20 years by which point they will quit because they can't (laughs) deal with the working environment you know it's 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 really difficult so Mm. I think I'd like to see more of that though I have seen a positive change so Mm. far. That's
0: good and talking about people leaving the industry there has been this kind of I don't know if it's in the UK but definitely in the US there seems to be this not exodus that sounds very um, <laughs> <laughs> traumatic in regards to people leaving and it seems to uh, be happening with a few people at a time mm. is that the pressure of the industry do you think again it's not an answer that you can give definitively but yeah since you work within the industry what do you think is leading to people shifting careers or stepping out so early in the game as well it seems.
1: Well, you know, it's an interesting one. I think that was, it was funny because it was mostly in America, but sort of like four high profile resignations that came with big Twitter letters happened in a two week period. It's, it's a difficult industry in a lot of ways. It's a very creative thing. You're expected to read a lot outside of work. Mm. There is just no capacity if you're reading submissions in in my day. I just don't have time
0: Mm.
1: because there's so much to be done. I think as a a person of color, it can be incredibly isolating. It's big on earning your way up. So you can be stuck in assistant positions if you don't move diagonally to another publishing house, Mm. like I did. It can, you know, you don't know how long you're going to be in that position. Mm -hmm. If you're really good at your job, why would they promote you? Um, There's a lot of people who want to work there i think one thing that gets thrown around a lot in every office i've worked at is that devil wears prada line (laughs) that a thousand girls girls would kill for your job and that's often what it feels like you know a thousand girls would kill for your job when i was working at penguin editorial assistant jobs i think the one that was open pretty soon after i or pretty soon before i left 800 applications to an entry-level role 800 applications for a single role and then once you're there there's no guarantee that you're going to get the next Mm -hmm. role up because there's half as many assistant editor roles as there are editorial assistants Mm -hmm. so it's really really difficult to to push through and keep going and the pay's low (laughs) the pay is really low Mm -hmm. and there is so much work you have to do out of hours but there are so many benefits you know Mm -hmm. I get a lot of free books a lot of jobs are difficult it's not just like publishing is uniquely difficult I couldn't imagine working in investment banking and working until like 11 o'clock at night or law or something Mm -hmm. so I think yeah, I think people are being more public about their resignations, but I don't think these issues with publishing are new. I think they just become mm-hmm. more heightened as people are transferring back to the office and are being expected to do the same amount of work as they were. I think that's mm-hmm. what I understood from these American resignations as mm-hmm. they were when they were working from home and didn't have to commute or like so, have mm-hmm. social lives. So I think that came across quite clearly in their resignation mm-hmm. letters. Um, I
0: think another part of it is also people trying to, as you say, there's so much that needs to be done outside of the job. So, reading books as well mm. as um, do, doing multiple things within that role, as well, that essentially mean that you're not focused on just one. You have to keep uh, changing hats essentially mm. to do different um, things for your authors and your titles. How do you yourself, because you are in an assistant editor role, but Bad form review, I assume, takes up quite a lot of time, and also you're always, you always seem to be, you know, sending out um, tweets. Or bad form seems to be sending out tweets, looking for books to be putting onto, you know, Mm. review lists or to be sending out for competitions. Which is so great because it means you're getting those books into readers' hands. Um, How do you keep yourself sane and healthy and um, mindful of not burning out in your industry?
1: I think, although I'm saying all this about publishing, I do love my job it's Mm. a real privilege to work with books like what a privilege that my extra work is reading a fiction novel I'm like oh Mm -hmm. my life is so hard I've got to read a book tonight like (laughs) like like, what like I can't I can't even complain seriously sometimes because I just love it and I'd be reading quite a lot regardless if I was Mm. an accountant with bad form on the side I'd probably still be doing as much reading if not more to keep up with Mm. it because I wouldn't be able to have those conversations I do in the office about what book's working and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't understand the industry in the same way so in some respects, I probably do less work than I would if I was in another industry trying to make the same change. Um, I think I do struggle. I'm probably not the best person to ask for advice on how not mm-hmm. to burn out. I'm often ill. Right now I'm sniffling. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I've had COVID twice and it's it's been really difficult with my health. And I am learning. I am practicing to put mm-hmm. better boundaries in place. Mm-hmm. I am turning off my laptop at 9pm these days and I don't go back to it. It means I've gotten a lot slower on email replies, as you know. Um, I put an I put an out of office on about my bad form email, which shows people who to really go to. I have an mm-hmm. incredible team around me. Bad form is definitely not a me thing; it's an us mm-hmm. thing. So there's so many other people who are also working just as hard to to mm-hmm. get it together. Um, but yeah, if I wish I had an answer that was better than I just try really hard and occasionally I have to take a couple of weeks to sleep and not apply mm. to any emails I've not yet mastered the skill I'll admit but I think loving books really helps yeah I, if, I think if I lost that then this whole thing would fall apart really mm. but I love books I love I can't tell you how much I love helping authors be platformed there is no feeling in the world like it to me than being on launch night and seeing an author be like thank you to my team for helping me like Mm. that is the best feeling ever so well similarly with bad form if a writer's like just pops you an email and is like thanks so much for that event Mm. posting my review or whatever and they're like that really helped my confidence amazing all worth it Yeah. So I need reward, basically. I need reward. That's how I get through. I mean, the way that you're
0: working, you deserve all that. You deserve all that and more. Let's move on the three things that you want to help make sense of, mm. two that you learned uh, on your journey, and the third is something you'd like to make sense of for fellow writers or for publishing hopefuls. Yeah. So the first is, I, I guess we've touched a little bit on it, but how to deal with frustrations within the industry.
1: Yes, yeah, so I think that this is is something that, you know, people like me, maybe quite ambitious, come into the industry like I'm going to completely change it. I'm going to burn down the industry and build it <laughs> up. And actually, you realise your first job is super admin heavy, and actually, you don't all you have time to do when you go home is like go to sleep, maybe read a book from time to time. Yeah. Um, so I think when you, it must be the same with the podcast, but when you have ambitions to change and then suddenly you're in an industry where everything takes two years to publish and actually everyone's yeah. been in their roles for 30 <laughs> yes. years in senior positions, it can be incredibly frustrating. You're like, I'm here, I want to make change. Mm. Why isn't this happening? And I think the realisation that you have to be, that everything takes time is one thing, yes. But actually the most powerful change is made by consistency. I mm. think One of the reasons bad form has succeeded and carried on and some other zines or motives or whatever sort of have fallen by the wayside over the years is that we've just sort of stuck at it. And that's how we've Mm. made change. We've just always been there. Every time a mistake is made by the publishing industry, we are there to tell them that it's wrong, (laughs) that something needs to change. Um, So I think the main way I'd say to deal with frustrations is to have faith in yourself Mm -hmm. that this will take time Rome wasn't built overnight, mm. that you will manage it eventually and just keep that in mind. Yes, it's important to have, you know, the perspective that things should be happening faster. I totally agree. Um, but you don't have to fix everything by yourself or overnight. There are other mm-hmm. people who have been doing things for years, well before bad form existed, that we need to partner with and help and move on because mm. you're always following in someone else's footsteps who's worked for a lot longer than you. Mm-hmm. Um so appreciate the frustrations, but it's okay. Your time will come. The change Mm. will happen.
0: Mm. I think that's really wise as well, that the key is consistency, because I think that's Mm. true of a lot in this industry, writers, whether you're working within the industry, that it is about consistency because there's so many walls that you're going to come across. There's so many rejections you're going to come across. Mm. And the one thing that is true is that even if you you know need to be frustrated you need to scream about something that's uh seems unfair or whatever it is or there's a rejection that uh, at some point you do need to if you want to to enact that change is to pick yourself up and to consistently go back at it at what you're trying to do mm. um and I guess it's also that's also part of the reason why it's important for you not to burn out so, you know, yeah. and continue to be consistent and be that absolutely. force of change wherever you can. Is that something that's important within your team as well in bad form to um, make sure that you have a sense of mindfulness and um, uh, awareness of that frustration and to not let that overwhelm?
1: I think absolutely. I think we all went through a phase sort of last summer where we, we were all, you know, I was new to setting up a business. I don't know how to make sure people were taking breaks properly. And it's very difficult when you don't have structured hours. It's not just flexible mm. working, it's great. People are emailing us in their nine to five and we're having to respond in the evening. So you don't really ever get the chance to turn off if you're mm. also working your nine to five. And you know, you're doing all this work and nothing seems to be making a difference. The books still aren't selling, the, you know, the writers still aren't getting book deals. Mm. Um, so it's definitely something that we have been learning to deal with. And, and learning to get better with, and I think it's funny because I've gotten to the point, me personally, where people are like, "Oh, you've made such great change," and like all this stuff is happening. And it's like, yeah, but how many times have we failed? Mm. How many times have I not done something? How many times has stuff been swept over? Mm-hmm. It's you know the <laughs> the failures well outweigh the yeah. the wins yeah. so far, anyway. um So I think it is, yeah, definitely something that we deal with as a team. But we are getting better. But also understanding that at the end of the day, it's just books, not Mm. heart surgery. You know, we're not like out here saving lives. We're just Mm. making books better. So Mm. I think keeping that perspective when you're a writer or in publishing is really important. That Really, there are a multitude of things that need to change in this world. And books is only one small aspect of it. Yeah, true. Um, But I'm a big believer in people. Then again, people finding their lane of what they're going to change and what they're going to make happen in this life and really sticking to it. And I've chosen Mm. books. So you know that's why it's so important to me and so important for people who share ah, those frustrations
0: well lucky for us that you chose books uh, <laughs> I'm definitely definitely making that change and if you're being consistent with it I'm I'm pretty safe that uh, there will be change um, your second thing that you'd like to make sense of these are your words not mine but how to deal with feeling impotent to make change
1: and I know these sound quite similar and yes. they are very, very linked. Um but yeah, I couldn't think of any other unable to probably apply. No, it's but great. I think it's a really example. important one. Yeah. Um that you know that even if you wanted to, that your changes suggestions methodology is not being listened to or respected. And if your opinions and your experience is not being respected, how can you really make change? So it's more than just frustration. You just feel like your hands are tied because you're not in the situation. You may not even be in the industry yet and you want to help it. Mm. Um, Or you're on parallel to the industry or you're very in a very low role, entry level role in the industry, or you're in marketing publicity and not in editorial. So you feel like you can't make that change. There's lots of reasons why someone could feel impotent, especially and obviously this Coincides with entry-level jobs because that's where I basically am still. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say that change needs to happen inside the industry, yes, but there's only so much that can be done in existing structures, mm-hmm. and that we need to ultimately build our own. And that's what bad form is. That's us creating our own space. And bad form is really a collective of, of lots of people making their own space for themselves. So I think. Feeling impotent to make changes, yes, it's totally understandable, but there's only so much you can expect to make change with if you're an assistant Mm. who's mainly there to do admin or you're not even in the industry yet. I'd say the way to deal with feeling impotent is to go make a space where you can make change and change doesn't have to be grand and massive. You can help one person. And that's enough. You can share your expertise with one person. You can set up an Instagram account where you share statistics in a way that's digestible for other people. That's helping. Mm. You have to make these channels for yourself. They won't just open up overnight or without you trying. If you feel impotent, find another way around. That's Mm. it. It's so why are you so wise? <laughs> I, I wish I was wise and not just me. I have failed a lot of times and now I'm trying to make sure ah, other people that's don't. Right. You're so wise. <laughs>
0: um, it, it, does it also come from you trying to have changed something within your role and seeing that that didn't work and then that's
1: how you went out to bad form? Or mm, I think it's, this is going to sound very... <laughs> Very of myself, but I think I have quite a weird role where internally I'm just an assistant editor. Like it's really mm-hmm. amazing that I've been able to acquire, but I am basically admin support for a lot of people mm-hmm. I'm a project manager. And then in my spare time, I'm also operating in the certain the same industry, but I'm a lot more respected um, just because you know I I'm seen to have a lot more. Power, mm. so it's it for a, at the beginning, especially I was like I couldn't deal. The same people who were emailing me in my spare time to ask me for things and ask me to consult on projects and ask for help are the same people getting me to photocopy stuff. So it's <laughs> it, it's it's like it's a really weird position to be in. And at first I was pretty really frustrated. I was like, why do people respect me? And I was like, they do respect me. They respect yeah. me as an assistant. They have hired me to do a job, yes. and they think I'm good at that job. And you're they doing also. that job, yes. and I'm doing that job well. Yes, and that's what the job is, and that's in. Entirely separate to me doing bad form on the side, yes. and it should be separate. You know, I even try and use a separate name, but I use my middle name when I'm doing bad form stuff. It hasn't really worked because now I work oh, with really? who know me bad form. Yeah, my name is just Amy Baxter, but I, I tried to set up Amy May to be bad oh. form Amy. It hasn't worked. Um, and you should have more...
0: gone with bad form Amy. Yeah,
1: was... <laughs> <laughs> made it more clear. <laughs> um, it hasn't worked. All my bookseller articles I've had with a different name, and it's. <laughs> 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 it's hard when new people join like companies who know me they're like AMA. I'm like that's not my name I'm sorry (laughs) um yeah that's quite funny but yeah I'd I'd say it it does come from experience learning to take myself down a peg or two it wasn't that important I was an assistant I needed to get it together so yes that was why I was feeling impotent because I had a sense of superiority that I did not (laughs) did not need to have
0: the third thing that you wanted to make sense of for fellow writers and or publishing hopefuls was how to deal with rejection, which is one I think I'm, I would be happy to talk about everyone about this because mm. this is one of the things that is so important in order to have, a,
1: I think, longevity in this industry. Yeah, um, I think so. And I know you've spoken to other people about this as mm-hmm. well. I know it's mm-hmm. like not new, but I think it's so hard in the creative industry, especially as a writer or as someone who's trying to get into publishing you invest so much of yourself, I guess this is kind of full circle, it's what we were talking about in the beginning, you invest so much of yourself when you're in a creative industry, mm-hmm. that when you are rejected, it really feels personal, um, mm-hmm. more than I think other jobs, because you're like, wow, do they not like me? Do they not like my viewpoint? And the answer is, they may not, you know, you may be rejected, because they don't like you. They mm-hmm. don't like what well, you have written. <laughs> they don't mm-hmm. like your viewpoint, they're not interested mm-hmm. in it. But that's because there is Perhaps objectively good good writing and bad writing, but I'd say that's about as far as it goes. Everything else is taste level when it comes to writers, and similarly with editorial assistants and entry-level roles. Often, they're not looking for someone who shares like the exact same taste as them. They're looking Mm. for someone with an interest in the books they publish and who's really good at admin or really Mm -hmm. good at a specific type of support that they're missing out. That doesn't mean that your taste as a reader or as a publisher is bad or wrong. It just means it's not quite right. Mm -hmm. And I had. I always tell the story because I think it's important to hear. I had applied to every publishing uh, internship that I thought I could um, in, in my second year of university. And I got, Rejected straight away. Like for Penguin, there were like traffic light systems on these three questions. You couldn't send a CV, and I got straight red. I didn't wow. even like get an amber. I think maybe I got one amber. Mm-hmm. And so by the time it got to the next year, I'd already got secured a place on accounting, like I mentioned earlier. And I only applied for my eventual job on the traineeship the day it closed because I met Simon Crosser, who's Bernardino Evaristo's mm. publisher, and he was so passionate about his job. And I was trying to talk to him about bad form, basically, because I was going to do that regardless. Wow. Wow. and he was like yeah this shuts tonight why don't you just enter and I'd had a couple of glasses of wine and I just like sent off a really like la, la 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 I love books application and somehow got through no idea how that happened um but even what I mean is, is that I was direct rejected before I got in the same place and then managed mm. to get an even more selective traineeship afterwards and then my six months at Penguin were up and I was like it'll be easy to get an entry-level role I've got six months at Penguin no it was not mm. um I must have applied to 40 jobs and heard back from three and these are all at wow. big publishers small publishers and I ended up staying right where I was I got like I think I got two job offers in the end where I was, and another division of Penguin. But part of that is because when you're internal at Penguin, they have to give you at least feedback, if not an interview. So if you're mm-hmm. a trainee, mm-hmm. so even then with Penguin experience, I was rejected from multiple entry level roles, which technically wow. you need no experience for. Yeah. It is so disheartening, and it's so mm-hmm. easy to take it personally, and it is on some levels. But ultimately. Should that matter to you? Not particularly. All you can do is learn and move on. And every, I know the story about JK Rowling being rejected by so many publishers and by so many agents is a really common one that gets told, but I'd be shocked if there weren't. If i'd be more shocked hearing from an author who was accepted by the first agent mm. and the first publisher to read their mm-hmm. book i would be shocked if that's ever happened to anyone ever mm-hmm. it's far more common for people to have multiple rejections learn from them improve and then get them getting an agent and then getting published and similarly getting a job in publishing you need to learn how to do it, it makes you grow as a person and that's how that's maturity every adult mm. needs to learn how to deal with that but it's just that it feels more personal because it's a lot more creative Mm. A very
0: it, long answer. <laughs> no it's a great answer it um is there something that you can offer in terms of people that are trying to break into the industry and I guess from an outsider perspective it's also an industry where you feel like you don't see especially from people from marginalized backgrounds you don't see a lot of um representation in senior roles mm. is there advice that you can give in terms of how best to prepare or um yeah what best to do
1: I think it's quite a tough one. I think for preparing for editorial applications specifically, I think from entry level roles, for me, I have like a quadrant of what I think that most publishers are looking for and people have found this helpful. So I'm going to repeat it now. Mm Um, they are looking for admin first and foremost. This is the most important part of your application. I've always found when I was applying for editorial assistant roles that people were most interested not in my Penguin experience but as, <laughs> in my experience as a receptionist mm. because the fact that I could pick up the phone mm. and deal with the public and just deal with people and organise things was super valuable to anyone doing an mm-hmm. admin role. So admin is one. Reading that you like the, book, the books that they publish. Please don't lie about this if if you are applying. Go look up the books and read the first few pages on Amazon. On that sort mm. of like, see more inside this book. You don't have to buy mm. it and can't afford it. Just read the first few pages, so you can say something genuine you like about the books that they publish.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Writing, it's so important when you write your cover letter that you spell check and proofread mm. and really look at it properly. If they've got seven hundred applications for a job, a super easy way to get through a bunch of people is that a spelling mistake or a grammar mistake, you're gone. And creativity. I think is the fourth thing they're looking for. This doesn't need to be like you paint portraits in your spare time. Um, it could, it's just that little like extra bit of pizzazz, which shows that you're not just all admin and reading books. It could be that you have a bookstagram or it could mm. be that you like running. You know, there's, mm. you just need like something a little bit extra. But that is by far the least important thing you need to work in the tutorial, I'd say. Mm. Um, no one cares about bad form when I apply for jobs. <sighs> not even slightly, um, you know, uh, to be fair, I've not applied for a while, so maybe it looks yeah. slightly different now. Yeah, but it's just I'm not sure. important yeah. to how well I can do the job is mm-hmm. the fact that I re- I'm really well read. I know how to formulate sentences in a proper way. I'm quite good at project management and I'm super good at admin. Mm-hmm. That's way more important than bad form. So I'd say that really, really focus on the skills mm. that they are looking for and not what you think an editor should be. Mm. Um, because ultimately it's a job for a capitalist institution. And I think mm. that's where people that's why that's how it also becomes easier to deal with rejection because you see it as a job rather than a creative outlet
0: although it can be
1: both okay interesting
0: and uh the last thing i wanted to ask you was what is your favorite thing to fold for you what is your favorite thing about being uh the editor-in-chief of bad form review and what is your favorite thing about working as an assistant editor
1: I think my favorite thing about being editor-in-chief of bad form is seeing articles in the print issue that I really had nothing to do with, Mm. that I didn't commission or edit or do anything except like design up and then see it in print. And that makes me so happy because Mm -hmm. it's just a sign of like how much we've grown and how much, how many interesting people have interesting things to say and how Mm. great the team is. That I think often is like a sign of like, wow, this is like really something that's grown Mm -hmm. way beyond me and my laptop um but also just like meeting authors who are like thanks for reviewing my book that's always the mm-hmm. um and then dialogue books I think I've just started seeing now I'm almost a year in books from right at the beginning to sort of being mm. their first draft being published and I think yeah the best feeling is when an author is like Really appreciate you helping. Here's a real book mm. that we have made and that you have contributed to the helping of. Um in dialogue, it's really cool. At the back in the last page, there's like a credits page mm-hmm. where like everyone who's yes, like involved. Them. Yeah. So as many people as can be, there's like an infinite number of people ultimately who are involved <laughs> yeah. in the making the book. Um, but like my name in the back of a book. So cool. Very exciting. Very cool. Yeah. Um yeah, and that was exciting when it happened for the first time on the bad form side as well. We were credited mm-hmm. as like press at the beginning of a book, and it was burnt sugar by Avni Doshi, which is an unreal book that was oh, wow. shortlisted for the Booker. So that yeah. was really cool. Wow. Um, but yeah, I'd say the seeing stuff in real life in your hands beyond yeah. like uh, in on the page is the best thing ever on both that's sides.
0: So nice. It's yeah, tangible, and uh, yeah. you can see what you're doing and the impact of what you've um, built. I guess that's yeah. It's uh, very nice. Um, is there anything else you wanted to touch on that we haven't kind of talked about? And we've done a really good job. You've done a really good job, I should say. No,
1: these are great questions. Um, I think I think I've covered everything. She yeah. says nervously. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think no. I think to be fair, I'd probably emphasise that I have been really negative in places about publishing and the publishing industry. And I don't want to take any of that back at all. I I, yeah. I stand by what I say. Yeah. But ultimately, I do also enjoy my job, and you have to reconcile both. Mm. I think that it's not an industry for everyone, and that's okay. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it has its its highs and its lows, and I'm still here and still enjoying working in it. So yeah. I think take everything I say with a pinch of salt. You should form your own opinions.
0: <laughs> yes, and I also think it. I mean, it is important to hear the cred. Crit- Criticism of it because it seems to be an industry that for whatever reason doesn't have much transparency even so mm. you know far on um, and so it, when you're criticizing it's not that you're it's not from you know there, there's uh, people can criticize and then there's no movement and there's no kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for there's no it, it kind of stops with that criticism, but that's not mm-hmm. what you're criticizing. You're criticizing an industry where there are very wrong things and structural yeah. changes and for um s- structures that are in place that need to be changed. And unless people criticize and unless people uh, from the inside can say very clearly that this is how it is and this should change, then other people don't get inspired to change that. So yeah. Um, it's not a criticism that just stops with you just complaining about something. It is because you are also actively trying to do things to change that. Mm. And uh, I think anyway, if someone that wants to step into the industry, it sometimes is better to know that this is what you're stepping into as well, so that you aren't overwhelmed with frustration. And instead you go in knowing what it is and maybe it helps you feel a bit lighter in seeing what it is you can change. So yeah. Um, it's so obvious you love your job, you love bad form review because the, things yeah. like this are labors of love, and it takes <laughs> more time all of you know it takes <laughs> your spare time it takes it's it's you're not getting paid for it so um, it's very clear that you love what you do. And so I I, I thank you for coming on and for speaking so um, honestly about everything. And uh, I think we'll have, to, I'm hundred percent sure we'll have you
1: on again because there's thank much more you. to talk about. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such an interesting conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And I really do enjoy listening to the podcast. Oh. Well, I look forward to listening to future episodes as well.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of Make It Make Sense with Sreka and Tharaman, I would love if you would rate, review or subscribe to the podcast to help others find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Make It Make Sense.